The contemporary version of an old Chinese proverb goes, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Well, in our case, our journey in Hebrews has been 882 days long, and it began with a message on Hebrews 1.1, April 5th of 2020. Much has changed in our world since April 5th, 2020, and yet God's Word remains the same, and the way that God has cared for His people remains the same. And this morning, as we kind of bring the 2021-2022 ministry season to a close and look forward to next week at the start of next year's season, we get to enjoy our last passage from the book of Hebrews. Hopefully you'll remember that what we looked at last week in verses 18 and 19, our author asked the people to pray for him and for the other church leaders, urging them quite emotionally to do so. He says, pray for me. And then he prays for them. I hope that at least the first section of this morning's passage, many of you will have memorized at this point. Almost two and a half years ago, I promised that, Lord willing, I intended that every sermon that God allowed me to preach from the book of Hebrews, that we would end with this same benediction. And by grace, 45 times we've heard this same passage. And I have to say, it's been quite the blessing for me starting to see several of you mouthing it along with me as we've been blessed by it at the end of our services. So if you remember it, feel free to say it along with me. The first portion of our passage in verses 20 and 21, the benediction at the end of Hebrews. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our author then goes on to say, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. For if I, I have written to you briefly, you should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. The meat of this morning's passage obviously falls in that first section, that benediction at the end of this passage. It is one of the most involved and beautiful benedictions found in the New Testament letters. That word benediction comes from the Latin meaning to speak well or a good word. And it's the equivalent of our author's sign-off with these Hebrew believers. And my goodness, does he ever speak well? Does he ever end with a good word? The last couple chapters that we've looked at in Hebrews has had a lot of what is expected of a believer. 
what we are expected to do. Let us also lay aside every weight and run with endurance, the race that is set before us, 12.1. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, 11.12-13. Do not refuse him who is speaking, 12.25. Let brotherly love continue, 13.1. Remember your leaders, 13.7, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Pray for us. Lots of application. The now what type passages. And verse 22 of our, our passage this morning identifies what the whole purpose of this letter was. It was to be a word of exhortation. To exhort someone is to emphatically urge them to do something. And the last few chapters have had a lot of somethings to do. And so perhaps you might expect our author to end his time in this letter with a, Kate, you've got your marching orders, now go and do it. Kind of that rousing type of send-off. But instead, he returns to the same kind of groundwork he laid in the early chapters of Hebrews. Contrary to the typical worldly motivational speech, which tends to appeal to the emotions and the perceived internal potential of the audience, our author recognizes something that we desperately need to understand today. I up here, or our author in his letter, could stir you up and pump your tires and set your hearts on fire with a passion for something. But ultimately, it is the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, who equips us with everything good that we may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. And all of this through Jesus Christ and to his glory, not our own. Our author points us back, reminding us that no matter how good or how capable we think we are, no matter how much we are ready to go out and do the things, that ultimately we and the rest of mankind must depend on God. One of my all-time favorite passages, you will have heard it before from Acts 17, is Paul's speech to the Areopagus in Athens. Bunch of educated men, and he addresses them saying, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. It all comes back to him. No matter what the issue, no matter what the request or the situation or the instance, everything, absolutely everything, returns to God if you are willing to trace the thread. 
And he comes with this prayer, this benediction to close his letter. And he recognizes this. He remembers that all of these threads trace back to the Lord. And our prayers should be the same. Too often, our prayer lives have the tendency to be focused on focused inwards on ourselves, our needs, our requests, our struggles, how God can help us. But just like being out on a first date, it's important for us to shift our focus outwards. There are few things less appealing than spending time with a self-absorbed narcissist. And when we are talking to God, we are talking to the one who created everything, the whole universe, the one who himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Why on earth, if we believe this about God, would we come to his presence simply to just talk about ourselves, about what we want, what we need? No matter how pressing our issues, how troubled our hearts Coming before God, we must be forced to recognize who it is that we're talking to. And our author is pressed in the face of everything else that these Hebrew believers are experiencing, the persecution that they're going through, the commandments he's given them. When he comes to bring them a blessing, it is not a, now go and do the things. He comes to the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus. That term God of peace is a very Pauline phrase. He uses it over a half a dozen times when he's speaking of God and oftentimes that fits in the benedictions in his letters. That's one of the things that convinced some people that maybe Paul was the one who had written Hebrews. But we haven't gone through the authorship debate too deeply, and we're not going to start now. This concept of God as the God of peace fits particularly well in the book of Hebrews, particularly as we close. Because all throughout Hebrews, we get to see how God is the one who initiated the reconciliation between himself and his people. This obviously being accomplished through Jesus Christ, God the Son. To reconcile is to make peace between two parties. And if you want to know whether or not God can rightly be called a God of peace, you need only look to the lengths he went to to reestablish the peace between God and man. A peace that we broke. A peace that we broke by turning our backs on him and God shows himself to be the God of peace by making peace between himself and the one that turned his back on him. I know not too many of you spend much time looking at my business cards, but I don't spend much time looking at my business cards. But if you were to look on the back of them, there's an excerpt from Romans 5, and the full version of it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The God of peace sent his son that while we were still sinners, Christ might die for us. And he brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, this great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus used that title of himself in John 10 when he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. These are Jesus' sheep, the one who recognize and hear his voice. We gathered around the Lord's table this morning, and we drank the cup, that cup which represents the new covenant in Jesus' blood. And that blood was spilled, inaugurating something totally new. Jesus raised that cup after supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And when he did so, he was telling the people that nothing would ever be the same again. No longer would we be dependent on sacrifices and priests and temples. No, now we would be dependent upon Christ. Jesus was the one who took all of those things, sacrifices, priests, and temples, and wrapped them all up in himself. We would meet God. We would be reconciled to God. We would be brought before God all in our Savior Jesus Christ, who is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, who after making purification for sins sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Remember that from Hebrews 1. So our author's prayer is that the God of peace, the one who reconciled himself to us in Christ, reconciled us to himself in Christ, would equip us with everything good that we may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. And how does God, the one from whom all good things come, equip us to do his will? Does he cultivate inside of us the inherent good of mankind. Once again, he equips us by coming to us. Just as the Father sent the Son to create peace between us and himself, when the Son returned to the Father, Jesus said it was even better for us that he would go. And in John 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
God does not leave mankind alone taking the Son back to glory and leaving us once again to wallow in the filth that we are so good at creating. He takes the Son back to His right hand and sends the Holy Spirit. How does God equip us to do His will? How does He work in us that which is pleasing in His sight? He does so by the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends in Jesus' name to teach us all things and bring to our remembrance all that He has said to us. We hear that in John 14, 26. This letter is full of commands. It's full of warnings. All of these encouragements and exhortations throughout the letter, I love that right at the end here, we're reminded that all of these point towards the entire Godhead. It points to God the Father as the one who has given us these commands, to the Son who is the one who has reconciled us to God, that we would even hear these commands, and to the Spirit who is the one that works in us to be able to accomplish any of this. We are called to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, to be holy. A totally impossible command. And we can only do so because Christ has opened the way for us to be in right relationship with the Father and because the Holy Spirit is at work within us. That Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, making us like Christ. Our author prays that the God of peace, the one who reconciled us to himself in Christ, would equip us that we may do his will working in us that which is pleasing is in his sight through Jesus Christ. For from him and through him and to him are all things. It sounds so familiar to our passage, that piece from Romans 11, from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. Then our passage through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. All of the warnings and exhortations in this letter build towards one purpose, that we glorify Jesus Christ. We all know that we all took a basic English class once upon a time. You know that when you're writing an essay or a letter, you get to the point early on in your letter. You okay? Somewhere in the first little bit, there's your thesis. This is what I'm trying to communicate to you. And particularly if the letter is a little bit longer, then you go back to what the original purpose was. You restate your thesis. How is this for bookends on our passage, on our letter? In the first verses of Hebrews 1, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, 
equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so, brothers and sisters, let us set about the work, the business of glorifying Jesus. Listen to the warnings of Scripture. Drink deeply of God's Word and hear the voice of God speak to you. For the Word of God is living and active. And thank God, as our author so often brings up throughout this letter, that we are not under the Old Covenant. But today we know our living Savior. We know what He has done And we know that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we can be saved. It would be too easy for us to get lost in some of the weeds. But thankfully, our author brings it all back. This entire letter is about fixing our eyes upon Jesus. from the very beginning to the very ending and all of the warnings in between, we are to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And if we do so, then God will give us the Holy Spirit and He will work in us that which is pleasing in His sight. You cannot do it alone. You cannot be good enough alone. You cannot earn enough brownie points with God alone. You cannot earn your way into heaven. But if you fix your eyes upon Jesus and him alone, then you have a real opportunity to see what God can do. Because if your eyes are fixed upon Jesus, if you run with endurance the race that is set before us, and run with endurance right to the very end of your life, then you will find what it means to have the promised rest. And all of that from fixing your eyes day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment upon Jesus. As we bring this message and this letter to a close, I want to point out one last thing. Our letter ends with some final greetings, kind of wrapping things up in a couple side notes. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. This letter... Indeed, all of Scripture was written by people. It was inspired and directed by the Holy Spirit, but it was a real man who wrote this letter. Please pay attention to what I wrote here. By the way, Timothy is out of jail. Say hi to your leaders for me. The people in Italy say hi as well. Grace be with all of you. Far from finding the signs of humanity of the writers of Scripture disturbing, I found it incredibly encouraging. You want to talk about what it looks like to be equipped by God to do His will. 
how about being used by God to write his own holy scriptures? God has chosen to involve mankind. God could have written scripture with his own hand and sent down this golden-covered book for mankind to discover. But God chose to use his own people to write down his own word. And he has preserved that word through the ages. God has a plan for his people. And his plan will be accomplished in our hearts and our lives by God's work in us through the Holy Spirit. There's a balance within Hebrews that I love between the agency of man, the expectations that God has for us, and the fact that ultimately it depends upon God. So for us, don't get lazy and lax in your faith. Strive for the truth. Pursue Christ and run with endurance the race set before you. And if you do so, by the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ will be glorified. And if you do run with endurance that race straight to the very end, holding fast to your confession of the faith, then you will have shown that you are one of God's people, a sheep of his fold, and you will reap the eternal rewards that God has promised to his people. I ask that you would join with me in a moment of prayer and that the worship team would come. Or there's no closing song? Well, then I ask that you would join with us in prayer and then join with me one last time in the blessing that comes from the book of Hebrews. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter that you have preserved for us. We thank you that you've given us your word that we might see and know you and that you have chosen to use your people for your glory. And I pray that the people of Elk Point Baptist Church would be used for your glory, that we would be used to share and spread your gospel, that we would proclaim our Savior, wherever we would go. That we might celebrate with one another, that we might exhort and encourage one another, and that we would go from here full and ready with bursting life. That we cannot help but share with those we meet along the way. And Lord, we are so grateful that we do not do this alone, but that it is you who equips us to do this. It is you who works in us that which is pleasing in your sight. May we glorify you in all that we say and do. May your word infect every part of our hearts and lives. May we know you. Lord, thank you, and pray that you would go with us this week. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Now, would you please stand and hear one last time our benediction from Hebrews 13.
And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.